Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin Kailsover, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I am joined today by my co-host, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. He's not with us at the Church of St. George, the Martyr, for on Sunday, uh, but you will have his message now. How are you doing today? Good day, Lindsay. I'm um, doing great, thank you. Um... I had a good conference with Western Province Council of Churches and the ministries that we are dealing with. I'm very excited about that. And um, also um, to to uh, come, come through a, a three days of funerals, which was both um, a blessing, but I can feel that I was taxed by having to sort of be being prepared to give, you know. Um, but yeah, that's part of life. And um, I, um, tomorrow I'm going to be at St. Augustine's of Hippo in Lotus River, where I'm part of the 50th anniversary celebration of the churches coming into being. I mm. was a rector there from uh, 1990 to 1990, sorry, from 1999 to 2007. So I spent seven and a half years of my life with my family in that part of the vineyard. I'm going to miss the service, though, because as you well know, I've put a lot into the thinking how the liturgy should be constructed, given that we're in the month of compassion. And tomorrow, specifically in the Anglican Church of Southern Africa, is the Children's Ministry Day. Um, and um, so I'm sad to, to miss that uh, part of it uh, with the children inside the service before they go to Sunday school. But I, I'm, I trust that they, you know, the clergy that are that are standing in for me. I got. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. So the children, the, the 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 clergy that are standing in for me, Reverend Derek Abrams and Reverend Mo Kakora, are good priests that I can rely upon to, um, you know, take care of the service. So yeah. Um, I wish you blessing on the service as well. How are you, my brother? I'm good. I'm good. It's August, so it's a lot of things go on. Uh, end of July is obviously my son's birthday. Beginning of August is my daughter's birthday. Then it was my dad's birthday, which is like the day before her. And then it's um, Women's Day. We are in the Women's Month as well, um, alongside the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, but yeah, Women's Day was obviously the day my mother died. So there's like a lot of emotions that I have to process during like this week specifically mm. and this weekend. Uh, so so it's a it's a it's a good one for me. It's a good good period of introspection. Um, but the theme mm. that you extracted was it was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him. That's taken from uh, the second reading which is Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16. Um, and then the collect is an interesting one. It goes, oh God, architect of our faith, build, us in the, build in us the assurance of our hope and the conviction of your faithfulness that we will be ready to receive the treasure of Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So the treasure thing also speaks to the gospel, which is according to Luke, um, chapter 12, verses 32 to 40, which is kind of Jesus on his way towards Jerusalem, just giving a, a, a message of hope um, to the disciples, even before they have faced the trial 
that is to come their way. And he speaks about um, the treasures of heaven and what's it? Provide yourselves purses that don't weigh out and save your riches in heaven where they will never decrease because no thief can get to them and no moth can destroy them for your heart will always be where your riches are. So my mother was obviously a woman. And like most people's mothers are, all people's mothers actually. Um, and she was a faithful woman and I'm married to, to a woman of faith. Um, and I, not so much. So how do you look at a situation like Monique and I? where one is very strong in the faith, almost walked all the way to like lay ministry and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the other side of the coin in the relationship that she's in is completely off the path. Like, is there, is there, in your mind, do you see a future of happiness for us? Like, I know, I know what I believe. I know, I know that we treat each other with respect. Um, I know that, like my sister asked me the other day, like, well, then why do you go to church? And I was like, because we do things as a family. My children go to Sunday school. Um, I'm happy with them being raised as Christian, and my wife is a, a devout Christian. So how would I be supportive of our marriage if I wasn't supportive of her and her thing, you know? Um, let me first just say happy birthday to Isla and uh, God's richest blessings upon her as she journeys on in her life. And Isla, I hope you have a special a week and weekend in that celebration. You know, I. It, it's interesting that when we speak about faith, uh, um, the the question I had some years ago when I was doing further studies was, does faith direct itself to absolutes, uh, or is faith responds uh, uh, to that which is uh, revelation being unfolded, um, and revelation being unfolded in what God has done, in what God does, and in what God is doing, and what God will do. Um, and each of us uh, in this world, we are shaped by by more than that which the eye can see. Uh, we have things like ideology that people give vent to, philosophy, and then there's also spirituality. Um, whether there's a depth in all of that, or whether it's casual mentioning, quotes mentioning, or reference to scripture, um, we are all, we are all, as it were, mm. um, uh, formed and shaped by these ideas. Uh, and and belief systems, uh, but the culture that we are raised in is a combination of all of that. So whilst you may argue you're not uh, specifically a Christian, my question to you always has been, or my statement about you is always that I probably would identify you as the one who coined the phrase for me, exploring faith. Um, so there's no way that that you would, in, in the exploration of the faith, whether it, uh, uh, you know, whatever you, whatever we reflecting on, well, uh, the kind of things that Monique would embrace as a Christian person, um, uh, are things that you're not adverse to speaking about, um, because your mom and your dad made you aware of it. 
uh, and, and and the awareness of, of things spoken. I mean, we can't touch words with our, our when words are spoken. We don't touch them with our hands. Uh, they are airborne unless they are captured on, in the, on, on, on print or in type. They are there and they make us, they, they, they enter into our minds and we either dispense of them or we don't. So uh, can a love between two people who find one another attractive, who appreciate um, the other, who celebrates difference, who can embrace variety, who can respect um, thought and, 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 and life choices and can, can share in a common life together uh, uh, based on that love for each other. Um, I think that it will work if you make it work because there's no, there's, no, there's no guarantee that my level of faith and my wife's level of faith, I'll trust and I'll believe so all the same. Um, or we are, we are on the same page because we are all on a journey. Um, and if we, you know, I mean, one of the, um, uh, this was what I went to seminary. If I was meant to fall in love, uh, you know, uh, who am I going to fall in love with? Do I have to be somebody who is um, active in the Anglican, in, 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 in the Christian faith? Mm-hmm. How do we know whom we fall in love with? It's come to, to speak about marriage. I ask them, you know, amidst everything you speak, do you talk about God? Do you talk about faith? It's really spoken about at that stage. It can become a complication when you married and now children are there. It's a couple are maturing enough to be able to say, yes, they, um, we are having to live with death to be enriched by your by you holistically as I can and trustfully you are going to be enriched, you willing to be enriched by me. I think that that kind of love which God gives us, that's my belief, the uh, uh, capacity to have for another person influences. And I've often seen this, how when there is different faiths, um, the pressure of the parents, the, the family, you know, even the pressure that comes because the other doesn't want to lose out. So it becomes a little bit of a war, a tug of war. And the people who need and, you know, people are either rejected or um, there's a coldness between them. But if, if you are able to, to, the other can say, I love you because of that and I love you in spite of that. Um, and we will work together and find, open a wider world for them that when they've yeah. learned from us, they are yeah. able to choose for themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting you, you frame it that way because I've, I've always been a stickler for, for having those kinds of conversations and being open and honest with people. Um, even like in your friendship groups, um, especially when it's someone who you want to, who you can see yourself sharing a life with, um, to, to be on the same page of like where each one stands. And having also the mind, the openness to know that people evolve over time, you know? Like I always say my mind changes along with the facts. Um, if I learn something new, if if uh, I was actually having a conversation with my mother-in-law and that, that led into um, my idea of, of God and stuff. And I was like, I believe that I conduct my life according to the facts I can see on the ground, the things that I know. Um, I object to having my life structured by something that 
cannot be proven. Um, having laws and social norms and customs um, govern me that are based on something that it is impossible to prove. Um, and someone's interpretation, like two, no two people's interpretations of it are the same. Um, so like faith-based kind of living is not for me <laughs> because I, I expect justification for like everything. That's why I can, I can argue actually on behalf of, on the part of like the government, for instance, uh, because I can see the justification for a lot of their decisions, a lot of the laws that get passed, a lot of the policies that get made. There has to be legal justification behind it. It's not just something that they can suck out of their thumb, you know, because because they feel like it that way. Whereas I've seen within Christianity, within all religions, actually, um, where the ideology gets put front and center, and then everything gets molded around people's um, interpretation of that. And it's like, I didn't, there's no indisputable historical precedent for like Jesus's existence and that the words that are taken up even in this Luke passage are from him. So it's like, it's just like on the internet, you know, um, you watch YouTube, like you don't know the creator on social media as well. You don't know their motivations. You don't know the, the author, like what they were thinking. You don't know their background. You don't know what their agenda is, but you consume the content. And it's like, I know because I work in the media, I create messages, I work for clients, and I've, I've, I've crafted some <laughs> problematic things in the past that worked exceptionally well. And now I can come back and I can try and teach my children that, like, that's not real life. Like, real life is what you experience. Real life are the things that actually affect you. Um, and you have the power in a democratic society to push back on that. Um, and yeah, that that that's that's the grounding for my agnosticism. <laughs> but like that that can evolve if like if there's a second coming and like Jesus comes down on the chariot and all that stuff and like John's revelation all comes through, I'll be like, yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. This this is now the new fact that I can I can reference. Mm. I think I think that um, you know I. I in fact thought about it this morning driving home from the the, the conference. What, what would my life be like if I do not reference Jesus? Mm. And I keep coming back to St. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, in Christ, I am a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Now, that is the kind of understanding for me is that I live not my life in myself, for myself. Mm-hmm. I live in relationship even to the unknown and the revealed. I live my life in relation to the mystery. I, mean, I don't know how planting a seed into the ground, putting water on it, and, and and then seeing growth and fruit at the end of it. All of that process, processing goes into research and study and all of that. We don't know whether any of those research and study and the papers written about them 
unnecessarily true, but we mm-hmm. know that growth has happened. So for me to, I live, I, I come to live my life and, 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 and it's deepened my understanding of my sense of who I am in relation to whatever is out there. I think we are always, the, 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 the spiritual journey we are all on is to discover who we are. Mm-hmm. And in the discovery of who we are, it connects us up with with others. And I think the 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 the, the truth about that the that the adage African adage gives, I am because you are. Mm-hmm. Um, my discovery of myself is in relation to others. And so I I now now there's been a dispute as to the historical Jesus. Theologians have worked through that issue. There's enough evidence of of those who wrote history uh, of the, of those years to discover that there was a person like Jesus. It is true that after much research and study, people are disputing whether you know the Bibles that used to have the the gospel had the red letter words that indicated that that was exactly the words Jesus like spoke. I don't know if you know some of that. Early translations, you know, it was in the King James Version or something like that, where in the Gospels, especially, it used to be called the Red Letter Bible. Um, did Jesus really say that? Um, and and here I'm 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 thinking about whilst Jesus didn't, re- we don't know whether Jesus wrote things down. We don't know whether, but you know, we write things often after the fact. And we recall as directly on verbatim as we can, and we, 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 we try to recall the context in which that which was said. But is it ever possible to recall, recall everything? But the, that which has been recalled and written to us as a communication of the past is to help us think, you know, about, about um, is there valid, is there validity in what is revealed through this? Is the testimony of those who have gone before us, um, uh, um, has it any validity to that spiritual discovery I'm wanting to make? Who am I really and where do I fit into the bigger scheme of things? And what am I supposed to be doing here on earth? You know, all those very vital questions. Um, that I have. Yeah. I must say, for me, my journey in a in a woke way. I'm going to be deliberately and say that word, which <laughs> in a woke way came to me at tw- at age 12, when I was being confirmed as, and then had that uh, just a personal conversation with Jesus, and and from the time I got up off my knees after that. Things changed for me. My perspective of myself and where I belong and what I'm supposed to do suddenly got a kind of a, a an exposure that that gave me impetus in now I know. Because I was dealing with things like living in a country where the color of my skin was not. I didn't know how to interpret this. Yeah. Um, part of an Anglican church where there were white folk and we didn't seem to have any issues with it. But my dad and my mom couldn't speak about what was what 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 was the meaning of life going on around us. Um, you know, so so do I accept the testament of those who've gone before me, whether it's oral or written? Would people have lied to me? Why would why would anybody want to make up such a fantastic story of a book that's still sold 
is the best seller in the world in this 21st century. If there was just, if there was no kernel of historical proof there. Here's the thing. If you, if you look at like the Hebrews passage, um, so it starts of it was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him to go out to a country which God had promised to give him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in that country that God had promised him. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who received the same promise from God. For Abraham was waiting for the city which God was designed and built, the city with permanent foundations. It was faith that made Abraham able to become a father, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself could not have children. He trusted God to keep his promise, though Abraham was practically dead. So, like, this is a fantastic story. This is fantasy. This is absolute mythology. This is Paul. <laughs> this, is, this is like centuries after the fact. And Paul is now recounting this mythical story. So we, as a, as a species, we, we make up these larger-than-life narratives about people. Like, I was, I was watching, I'm, I'm big into weightlifting now. I'm currently a complete weightlifting nerd. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put, I'm just trying to stack kilos on my squats and stuff. Like I can't snatch anymore because of my elbow situation. Um, I can't lock out on the top. So I'm just working towards like building a big clean and then just building my squats to like crazy as at least unlocking the potential that my body has. So now you, there was, there's this YouTuber, Zach Taylor, and he's a, a, a weightlifting coach in the U S as well former um, weightlifter himself, um, national champion, blah, blah, blah. And someone sent him these videos of like Indian, like folk weightlifters. And they lifted like just large cinder blocks and like concrete things. And so like those guys, they're just doing it on like a folk level. There's like festivals that happen and then they test their strength against each other. So you can like already know the story of like the strong guy and then he'll have his fans in his village and then he'll be up against like the narrative of this other guy who's just like Goliath, for instance. So we, we make up these stories and <clears throat> I'm sure you grew up with, with kids who are amazing at soccer. And there's the, the stories that you can tell. It's like, yeah, no, those guys in the Premier League, they nothing. If you knew Vili from, you know, down the road, he was amazing. And like we create these narratives. So for me, especially passages like this, um, it just highlights this idea that these stories may have a kernel of truth to them, but they've been embellished to the point where it's like Abraham was probably just a guy who got cut full of where he was and decided to move. And now suddenly it's like it was faith that made him obey when God called him out. And it's like, no. If you probably had to speak to Abraham, he was like, you know, I was just chilling with my herd and there was better grazing ground there. Like it was a bit crap where it was. <laughs> and now this whole story that he's not in control over just like happens and then proliferates around the globe. So in other words, uh, we're guilty of exaggeration. We are. We are. We are an exaggerative of people. <laughs> but when you read that story, um, that, that is how somebody read back into the story what they yeah. saw coming out of the story. 
would the story have begun with Abram himself? Now, let me just give you a for instance. Mm-hmm. When I was being tested in my vocation to the priesthood, one of the people that I had um, to see in this process at Bishop's Court that day, a very naive, I'm a very naive 20, 19 year old, scarcely out of school, in my, uh, yeah, 1920 around there. And um, I was asked this question, um, how do you know you are called to be a priest? Mm. Now, the older I get, the, the more I say, can I really know? Then, as a naive, not a person, I needed to tell my story because that is what this man is asking me. This man is saying, you are here. Something happened that brought you here. Tell me the process. So now I say to him, um, I had a dream. And his first words, this is a priest talking back to me now. Don't talk nonsense to me. (laughs) So in my sense of vocation, this dream that I really did have, I'm latched on as being part of why I sense the call by God to be a vocational priest. Why is it so unbelievable? Is it because dreams are part of the mythical world? It is something that even in its interpretation, you can't clarify, you can't justify. It's not even an historical event, even though the things you dream about are are real to life. I mean, you're dreaming about a cat, it's there. You're dreaming about water, it's there. So why would that all play? So why wouldn't that be part of my narrative? Why would it? Why would, um, um, you know, why would it be so easy for me to say, you know, oh, um, um, I just love the priest behind the altar and thought maybe that's what I should do. How, do, how does that justify my, my story over against I had a dream? It was fine when Martin Luther King Jr. said I had a dream. Why? Because he was this prolific uh, public speaker and, 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 and servant of God and servant of the people. So. When Abram told the story, and I'm assuming it must have started with Abram because um, we do trace history back to Abram. Abram. So would Abram not, could could Abram and Sarah not have said, you know, this was our encounter. This is where for us it started. Now those around him, the community who formed around him began to look into Abram's life and say, well, we see evidence of something that happened beyond what we can understand. The yeah, question, yeah. of course, is did the story become exaggerated going forward? Um, I remember sitting at a table one day with, um, with, with, with a, a priest, very knowledgeable in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, his sense of, of God's action in his life, it, it was really just, a sense of, you know, I, I see this and I'm responding to what I read because he's really about words. The scripture, he studied scripture deeply. So those make a meaning for his faith. So he asked if any of us had a special encounter that we can think of that may have revealed a God moment to us. And, you know, I go back to a time and I shared this. I was probably grade uh, standard ten, nine or, or standard 10 grade 11 and 12 um my mother 
had suffered a nervous breakdown. We were living in Mitchell's plane. The medication, we couldn't understand why she was always wanting to sleep. We didn't know the nature of the illness. And one day I sat at her bed coming out of school. I'm sat at her bed and I'm saying to her, um, I'm I'm trying to encourage my mom. And I said to her, I don't know why I said these words to her. I just said, mommy, what if it is Jesus saying these things to you that I'm saying to you? Now, only my mother and I can tell you whether this actually happened. Nobody else can tell you. And I have never written it down. But I'm not making this story up. I sat there and, and her mother got up. She lifted her body up. She sat up in bed and she said, it is Jesus saying to me. Mm. And that was the time when she raised from that bed. And from that time, never went to that lifestyle again. Until mm. current time, bless her, she celebrated 86 years. That's my mother and my testimony. My dad never saw it. My brother never saw it. My sister was too young to even know about it. But my mom and I know that happened. Now, did I lust on tales to make the story more exciting? No. What I told you was exactly what happened in that snippet of thing. I go back to the story and say, was that a God moment? Because Nothing happened. The sky wasn't falling down. There was nothing that, no bells and, um, uh, you know, tutors from, from heaven. Mm. It was just mm. her response to what I had simply said to her. What if this is Jesus saying to you? And I don't even know why I said, what if it is Jesus saying to you? I thought the thought, uh, you know, um, and, it, yeah. and it just <laughs> reduced itself. So when we look at the story, it was faith that made Abram obey when God called him. Is Abram's personal testimony of that encounter in that words that the author, now looking back, uh, having read and heard of Abram's life, he said, okay, there seems to be something of an evidence of a thing called faith related to obedience. And that's his sense of vocation, his sense of call by God to move on. Is Abram's testimony caught up in all of that? that? he shared and dared to share with others. I'm here because I'm, I had a God moment that um, mm-hmm. made me move from there to there. That made me trust that we am going to move to is where what God wants me to do. Now the question here is, is our lives, are we created in such a way that we must be where God wants us to be? where we must do what we think, what we have discerned God wants us to do with us? Um, or is it just up to us to decide? We make the final decision. We are in control of our own actions. Uh, but this is, for me, I, I, I read this like, this is the author inserting themselves. So if you look at the agenda at play here, he's writing to a community in the diaspora. Like, he now needs to galvanize their faith to know that there is something better coming you know and it's the same with with the isaiah passage like isaiah was a prophet in the time where the assyrian empire was expanding westward which (laughs) jerusalem unfortunately (laughs) was in the path of that expansion so it didn't really take a prophet to know that like things were gonna go down you know (laughs) like like the enemy would be at the gates at some point. So like a lot of 
and and I know he's a major prophet, and I'm very sorry for the committed um, <laughs> Jews who do listen to this podcast. Who I know, but like this dude wasn't a really great prophet. He was just a guy who had knowledge of like how these power systems work, and that the the current ruler who um who was it Zaya was was on shaky yeah was on shaky ground and that they weren't really strong kings for for Judah after that so like of course they were going to be vulnerable to to this kind of thing and then he now starts prophesying on 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 things to come and like even in the Luke gospel here's Jesus and and ah oh, this is this is a slippery slope now because if if I if I imply that he knew the future, then that undoes a lot of of of, of the narrative I've built up around myself throughout this podcast. But so he's like going towards the situation. He knows he's gonna do something radical. He knows he's going to be spitting in the eye of of a dangerous monster. Cause, you know, because he's 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 his mission, his his vision and mission do not sync up with current status quo and he's going straight to the belly of the beast to to wow i'm just mixing my metaphors all over the place now um and he's going <laughs> to cause something and the logical outcome is like people are going to want him dead and then what is that going to mean for his followers and now he, he uses this oddly optimistic at this point kind of well, how does it start do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell all your belongings and give the money to the poor. I'm not even taking issue with that. It's just the tone of this whole passage is just be ready for whatever comes. Dress for action and with your lamps lift like servants who are waiting for their master to come back from a wedding feast. And it's it's very optimistic. And it's just they're at the point now where they can feel the pressure they've encountered pushback they know it's a dangerous situation and he's just kind of again galvanizing their faith just giving them a little lift so that they can you know refer back to that passage like when when the times really get tough um yeah, yeah and it, it's, it's 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 a crazy it, it, we we lose sight of what the author wants to achieve um with the words yeah um, again, my my sense of going back to the prophet Isaiah too, uh, an un, an unskilled man in 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 um, in terms of public life, mm. uh, to be able to come up with um, an interpretation of what the times mean and to let people be encouraged to say what are the choices that we have before us and to remind them of this God who covenanted with them generationally uh, uh, from Mount Sinai, who liberated them then, and um, what is this God's plan for them um, uh, uh, to, to, to make them not lose sight that beyond the hopelessness of the power that the power of others had over them, their own sense of weakness. What were they meant to hope in? Uh, to to in order to to um, number one know that this God hasn't given up on them, and number two to um, to be bold in to become more bold in their faith. And part of which was to say, 
let's surrender our wrongful attitudes of sinfulness mm. so that we can move on. You know that one of my beautiful passages of scripture, which I, um, uh, you know, I just I just love the way this is put. Um, now let's settle the matter. Um, the the um, an older translation says uh, something about um, um, you know uh, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God calling the people to reason together. How are they meant to think about um, all of this and what is it that God would require of them? There's reason together, saith the Lord. Uh, so there's no sense of dictatorship there. The sense of him and the people working together, him calling the people into conference um, and then helps them to see what the way forward is. Now, the same with the, 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 the Lucan passage. Um, was Jesus leading the people to their death or to his death for them? And, and by leading them to his death for them, which is where, where I am, how would, how would he prepare those who, having heard his message, followed him, those who are wanting to hear his message, followed him, um, and those who had uh, um, in obedience followed him? How were they to prepare? And yes, they are, they, there's the language we encounter is metaphorical. It's symbol, mm -hmm. symbolisms that are being utilized. But then language is metaphor. Um, yeah as we try to understand not just meaning of things, but the deeper meaning of things, so that we can make sense of things in our life and say, is there, is there something in here that, that really helps me to make a better judgment for my life? Like the whole question of do not be afraid, that speaks volumes to a, to a, to a world in which fear seems to be our companion almost every day. Uh, we, we live in, um, I mean, townships that can break out anytime in, uh, what's his name, uh, gang war. Um, we, we don't know where robbers lurk, but there are people out there who are looking for easy targets. How do we not be, why are we not afraid? And yet we have to get on with our lives. So yeah. what is Jesus trying to tell us there? And why connect? Um, Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And what does kingdom mean in the scriptural text as in today's world? You know, when, when we say, don't be afraid, kingdom is about rule and reign. Um, you yeah. know, we're we, we, we living in. So, so I would say, how is Jesus now preparing them to embrace the death he was going to die for them in order for them in preparation of accepting that as part of their formation and, and their forming and their transformation become what I believe God wanted them to become. Um, all of this done in the face of, 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 of a world of society where people are forced to fear than to feel free where people have to believe that they are targets rather than they are, 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 are reputable human beings who can make a contribution. Um, how do we move the heart to hold on even in the face of death? Mm. So uh, the, the, the mm. whole thing about 
do not so therefore do not in, do not let do not interpret your life through the possessions you hold on to because possessions don't give you meaning it gives you status but it doesn't give you meaning so what was jesus trying to teach them here um and and i mean i i don't know where in your own experience this thing's true for me for your heart will always be where your treasures are and the way our passions are that's where we're going to be hanging out yeah this is true but then in the, in the, in that same vein so i i i fashion myself as a bit of a of a feminist and this this is a uh, it's not really a a diversion from what we're talking about it's it's a bit of a key change and just to ground it in something that's very um very topical now especially with women's day um on on tuesday a uh, happy women's day to, to everyone who is celebrating um and to all women you get you get this narrative that that gets structured around like gender based violence so everything then gets funneled all attention gets funneled towards gender based violence and it should it should it really should because um all people in our society should have should feel equally safe and and historically uh, women have been considered to be more vulnerable and have been more vulnerable to to violence um and this is something that it's 2022 man we we should be better at this like we should be able Absolutely. to have a man and a woman run down the same road and have the woman not be more at risk of violence happening but then in that same breath you get this this femicide where it's like now in the news in in like the agenda setting part of media so like on twitter on Uh, like where all the media people are hanging out now suddenly murder is only topical when it's a woman who gets murdered <laughs> so like in the same area in the last two weeks a woman was dragged into the bushes raped and killed she was out running right but in that same area three men were shot No, one was stabbed and two were shot and killed. So there were four homicides. So for me, and I know this is going to sound like very much all lives mattery, uh, but for me, it's like the murders are the problem, not who is getting murdered. But the agenda gets set where it's like this is femicide and we need to do something specifically to help women. And it's like I get it, but but making something so specific when a more general approach will affect everybody positively yeah and then like the, how do you make policy when the demand is so specific you know yeah i look i i think you make you make a good point um you know when we look at the victim rightly we must look at the victim um but the fact that we have a legacy of murder in our nation in our communities and even in our home um are we at a nation that raises murderers uh, yeah. is there a 
a, a default in some human beings in their formation that murder is the only reaction or response they can give to the world and it satisfies their hunger for whatever it is they're hungry for. On the other hand, so you deal with that issue. On the other hand, when you look at victims, you have to take it down to the families they come from, their person, because they've got to deal now with bereavement, loss, untimely death of someone. Um, so, so how do we, and again, yeah, you know, if you were to, to uh, being somebody who does journalistic work and who writes, you capture what has happened. What's the intention of the story you're going to tell out of it? Who will you be addressing? What's your audience going to be like? And wha- what is it that you want them to learn from this? How will what you say empower them? And will they believe your interpretation so that they can say, this helps us now to address murder? It helps us to... Um, try and get rid of this aspect in our culture, in humanity, whatever it is. And and then we also then say, so then if it was unsafe for that lady to run down that road and not safe for those guys to be where they were, let's look at the context mm. um, so that we, we, we discover new, a better way of dealing with Then we have to say to families who are bereaved, how do we help you get through this? Mm. What What is the... Whilst we're looking at hope of eternal life, we're also looking at hope for ongoing living on earth for those who suffered bereavement. So now we have to look at the whole package of dealing with that. Um, So the same thing with these authors of scripture um, that, that that had whatever their world was. These are some of the things that we're learning coming from their world and how faith mattered to them, how the sense of God mattered to them. Now, it's very interesting that you raise this thing about the women and all that, because a couple of weeks ago, an issue arose. Question, does the Church of England have an official definition of a woman? Now, I don't know the background to that question, but on the 11th of July, 2022, at 0646, this was written. Church of England admits it doesn't have an official definition of a woman. Yeah. Now, why would that matter? We, we are a world needing definition. Yeah. Um, but, but even if you define what a woman is, we all know there is a human person that is identified woman, generally speaking. The question is, does definition add respect? Or do we just, you know, grow up in communities that teach us respect of all people? I mean, often you hear testimony of people saying, my parents taught me to respect all people. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting Mm -hmm. All people would no- normally be from different race groups. But we're living in a world where genders become a real catchphrase, a real issue because yeah. of what happened to women. And so now the narrative, the narrative of National Women's Day is not a celebration of women. 
is because there was no celebration of women. Um, uh, it was really that they were, were, were ill-treated and their stories were never heard and told because any girl could come to, your, to her mother and say, my uncle touched me inappropriately. I felt bad about it. And then the mother would say, please don't talk nonsense. So the words of women telling their own stories was not even being believed. Um, and even though we've created now what they call the awareness program, in order yeah. for us yeah. to bring the topic to the fore, we create awareness. National Women's Awareness Day, 16 days of activism, mm. all creating awareness because of the abuse and the ill treatment and the, and, the, and the what's his name. But it's not intentional celebration as it should be every day. Rather, yeah. it's because something bad has happened. A life was robbed. And now we've, we need to create awareness. And what are we doing? There are people that are now having to look at how do we train our boys when they are young to respect women? And all of those yeah. kind of things are coming to the fore. We are deeply challenged, very deeply challenged. Um, people like yourself, who's, an, who's a journalist, has to capture the stories for us in such a way that when we read your stories, we are able to say, here's value that we need to apply going forward. Yeah. Is that yeah. not what scripture is trying to do for us? Mm. Indeed. But it's like, it, it, it's a rhetorical question where it's like, how do you respond to that, that kind of headline where it's like the Church of England has no definition for a woman? Because that is setting a trap now where yeah. you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because that journalist yeah. has an agenda. Like they, yeah. because that is going to drive the most engagement if they can say, cool, now they get the response from the Church of England, official response, the, Archb the Archbishop of Canterbury sends out a notice to this publication or sends out the public sends out public relations and is like cool this is our definition and then it's like oh no 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 but you excluding this and exclude and it's like guys guys <laughs> at some point like i started this by saying that most people <laughs> all people um their mothers were women um and and i speak i speak of women in like the biological term where it's like able to bear children because men can actually breastfeed under times of extreme stress um, and if there's no partner it has been documented at least four times in history that men can produce colostrum um, not particularly full breast milk but like that early bits of like high nutrition sort of things under times of extreme stress like physical environmental factors there's a whole bunch of things that needs to go into that and men can lack that but like the ability to accept a sperm cell to produce an embryo um and grow life inside you because that's what your mother did like that is that's why it was my daughter's birthday she's the firstborn um it's as much a celebration of monique's motherhood because without that process she wouldn't have been a mother and that's why whenever you celebrate your birthday the first person you should probably phone is your mother to congratulate her as well um because she went through a little bit more than you you just kind of pitched up man <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, now we like we're moving the goalpost, and it's like, yeah, but now we 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 can't just focus on on this marginalized group. Now it's like this hyper specific marginalized group, and now we need to like create this entire societal system where they can also be. And sorry for for using it, that that can, where these these individuals can also be 
treated fairly. And it's like, yeah, man, we'll get to that. And like, why did we just start as like everybody's equal? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I, I just wonder whether our problem isn't language. Because, for example, we want to be in inclusive now, right? Yeah. So so now pronouns are becoming an, an issue. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it's stuck in our language. And our language is limiting. We need language, but it's also limiting. It's very interesting. When you go and ask for the definition of Eve, the name mm-hmm. Eve, this definition starts off with, in Latin, English, a name for female. So it's yeah. to identify a female. But when you go to the Hebrew, it actually means to breathe, to live, or to give life. The traditional meaning of Eve is life or living. Now, that's what Adam apparently gave the name Eve according to that parable in Genesis, to help us understand um, our beginnings in, in, in that sense. So the question would be, isn't, it's in our language. It's in how, what language is available to us. And, um, and, and I, I certainly believe that once we have, have used language to identify and to classify, we then move on to how we how we act on that definition and clarification and and, and qualification uh, classification of yeah. something. So um, we really need to think about this very deeply. You know, I'm 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 stuck um, in that. Should we use pronouns for God, especially when uh, he often used to be intentionally exclusive of she. Yeah. So, 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 how do we then use language? And um, and you, we are really, really challenged, I think, with language and how we use it in order to bring understanding and meaning to things. And is the language that I speak, and I'm often conscious of this, you know, um, when 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 I speak to people, when I speak to children, is the way that I'm speaking affirming. Is it a way of acknowledging uh, with respect? And is it a way in which I am saying you and I are in this together? You yeah. are as important to me as I hope I am important to you. Uh, I've, I have this wonderful experience two weeks ago when I had blessed one of the Sunday school children. And I tried to get to the level where I could see them eye to yeah. eye. You know, bending at my age is a little bit difficult, but I tried. <laughs> and then I said to this one child, a lot of children are normally shy. But when I said to her, God bless and keep you in his love, she said to me, and God bless you also, Father. <laughs> and then at the gate, she did it again. Yeah. And, and that was such a mature child to be able to say, what you're giving me, I'm reciprocating. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 language and from my heart and so um and so yes i think we definitely need to rethink our language rethink how we speak re re go and revisit what we understand because um you know going back again to this tragedy of murders and god rest their souls of those three people you spoke about 
Um, we really need, as a community, to come together and say, what does all of this mean? Yeah. And 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 in, if, if we're really talking about retributive justice, um, how does a community bring together, let's say, the family of the murderer and the murdered? Mm-hmm. Because those families play a major role in helping us to rewrite history in a proper way. But systems keep us away from each other. Mm. Um, the, the fact that we may blame and shame. I mean, I can't hold the family responsible of a murderer because I've got yeah. no understanding of, 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 of um, the formation of that child because, you know, how do we know what was in them when they did all of that kind of stuff? And lots of blame go to drugs and so on. But again, yeah. We must tell the story as holistically possible so that it excludes nothing. At the same time, we we hold up respect for, for, and I mean, I just hope that, for example, with the awareness of National Women's Day, that women can tell their stories, that women mm-hmm. can be the speakers, um, and women must must teach men how to listen. That can be the most profoundest way for those. I mean, I just, and I just want to, from my side, say this. It was very interesting. One year, I walked only with women. I was the only person, male and priest, that walked with women through Mitchell's Plain Mm -hmm. uh, to highlight the cause of women on National Women's Day. And the men were the ones who made the comment when they saw me in my cassock walking with women so that they can tell their story. Mm. When you start bringing in mothers who birthed you, should the men not have been there to celebrate their mothers who birthed Mm. Yet, it's the men often who kill their mothers their sisters. Yeah. Well, the only faith, and 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 it's interesting that you you pulled like some quotes from Khalil Chabrain, and you you pulled a, a Voltaire quote: you know, "Faith consists of in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe." And and you can call me naive um, in my in my love for for my country, in my in my faith in my country. That we will come out of whatever turbulence we are in. Um, but I, I have faith that men will understand, most men will understand the importance of women, or do understand it, and will learn that they need to step out of the way. Not just step out of the way, but step out of the way and invite and assist and elevate female voices to tell their own story, just the way I expect as a person of color to be able to tell my own stories, to not have my narrative hijacked um, by a white-dominated media. Um, People cannot speak on my behalf if they don't wear my skin, if they haven't walked my journey. It's the same with women. We cannot 
speak on a woman's behalf because we do not know what they go through. And more men, I have faith, will just listen to their partners, just listen to their sisters, to their mothers, to their family. It, it starts small like that. Just listen to their stories and start calling out when we see the behavior that is deemed problematic by them, by the women in our lives, and we see this behavior in our own peer group with men, to call it out immediately when we see it. We have the courage to where that voice is being suppressed or being oppressed to use our platform to attack that and to bring justice on their behalf after we have allowed them to speak their truth. Yeah. Can I just add, if, if this is the, the sort of closing remarks you're making, that mm. in this month of compassion, which is the month of August, to make an appeal to those who are tuned in, and thank you very much for listening to Lindsay and myself. Hopefully it evokes things in you that you could tell us um, where to get off and where to get on in our <laughs> deliberation. But uh, in the month of compassion, I've asked that the congregation, our congregation, uh, thinks about the uh, talking about women, those young ladies coming from very impoverished families who are at school who do not have um, um, that the equipment needed when they are menstruating. And if you could raise, um, you know, make donations for that cause, I know that. There are others working out there for them, but I, it just became so clear to me that um, that is one area uh, of real, real challenge uh, for those who are in real dire poverty circumstances. And, um, and hopefully um, we, we could, uh, uh, you know, in, ensure that they rediscover their dignity um, that is within them. Um, by the support we give them uh, when it comes to their personal health. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks, Lindsay. Mm. Thank you very much for listening. Um, as usual, the collect and the choice passages from the readings is in the podcast description. Um, so you can find it there and you can read along and you can, um, as some people have already, uh, give me feedback. Give us some feedback on on whether you agree, whether you disagree, whether whether you think that my my insight into it, whether I was reading the passage wrong, um, I you can reach me at Lindsay at thatopinionguy.co.za, um, and you know how to reach Father Rodney. Uh, please engage with us. Um, hit the the man up on on WhatsApp. Uh, maybe engage with him as well, and let let Father Rodney share his own story and not just create a narrative around him. <laughs> <laughs>